It's week two of the Max Fund Drive, where we focus on how important membership support is for this show and all the shows on the Max Fund Network. It's also the best time for you all to join as a member because depending on your level of support, you can choose to join or you can upgrade. Either way, we have some very cool thank you gifts we only offer during the Fund Drive. We'll have more on that in a bit, but if you want to get it out of the way, check out MaximumFun.org slash join. Hello, I'm Oliver Wong. And I'm Morgan Rhodes. You're listening to Heat Rocks. Every episode, we invite a guest to join us to talk about Heat Rock, you know, an album that burns its way into our collective memory. And today, we will be tuning into WRMS and the Rapty Rap Show to revisit the 1991 album. It's been 30 years, y'all. Damn. De La Soul is dead. Hello, boys and girls. Welcome to your De La Soul read-along storybook. When you hear this sound, that means turn the page. And now we begin our exciting adventure of... De La Soul is dead. Artists talk about reinventing themselves all the time, but few have made it quite as dramatic as when De La, on their sophomore album, decided to kill off the Daisy Age hip-hop hippie image that had plagued them since Three Feet High and Rising. They didn't make this subtle either. The album is called, after all, De La Soul is Dead, and the cover was a daisy pot symbolically turned over on its side. On Moxie alone, the LP could have ranked amongst the greatest sophomore albums in hip-hop history, but De La Soul is Dead was also another incredibly creative and sophisticated effort from the group, mixing meta-commentary on their own fame, a dash of puffed chest bravado, and a whole lot of signature silliness, all filtered through the musical and lyrical excellence of the Long Island Trio and their Prince Paul of a mentor. Other artists of that era might have rapped more forcefully or had more bombastic beats, but in 1991, few groups seemed as daring as De La Soul. 30 years later, that's right, 30 years later, and that impression has never faded. De La Soul is dead. Long live De La Soul. Season of the swing is sound and it's down. Now they got the gifts, so lift from the ground. Seek me your age, they just took a dose. Feed me the dough, not to feed me the old. Screw me with the new, cause the new kept me fed with the blue. I'm blue to the slew and I'm shrinking it. De La Soul is Dead was the album pick of our guest today, Kemp Powers. When we look back on 2020, and we will look back on 2020, we'll remember it as a year of a lot of firsts. And if you mention first, you'll need to mention that it was the year our guest became the first African-American to co-direct an animated feature for Pixar. Soul is the name of it. Beautiful and musical. Joe Gardner's story is that of a music lover who gets a big break late in life, filed under super relatable content. This portrait of an artist as a not-so-young man Unites passions and perseverance held together by jazz. It's black, it's proud, and it's pretty. It moved me and my mother and my niece one night in L.A. Our guest's work has been great before. And with soul, he's helped create the journey of a man who finds himself in the great before, balancing big dreams and a bigger heart. We are thrilled to have him on our show with us today. Kent Powers, welcome to Heat Rocks. Thank you both for having me. What a, what a, what a lovely introduction. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you. We have to ask you, what was your introduction to De La Soul? Well, obviously, Three Feet High and Rising. Um, just like everyone else, Three Feet High and Rising was the, the album that kind of, you know, hit me upside the head. As far as Native Tongues go, um, you know, the JBs came out with Girl, I House You. That was my first introduction to Native Tongues. Yes. I house you. Don't you know that I house you. Don't you know? I house you. I house you. You in my hut now. But as an album, as much as I enjoyed Straight Out the Jungle, I don't know, like when Three Feet High and Rising dropped, it was like something we'd never heard before. Um, and and look, I d- I've always described myself as a black nerd. Um, and it was like, we suddenly had our patron saints in hip hop with the with the emergence of of, of De La Soul. Um, it, it's pretty interesting because I'm actually from Brooklyn, um, mm. but um, often in the summer I would go out to visit my uncle um, in Amityville. And for folks who don't know, Amityville is kind of like Long Island's black neighborhood. <laughs> it's 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 funny. It's like 
the even even the suburbs get kind of segregated and everyone knows that De La Soul like came out of there. So I remember when their album came out and one of my uncles said, oh, like, oh, that group you're listening to, that's one of my neighbors um, wow. <laughs> here in Amityville. So it's the fact that their music seemed to speak to me as like a black nerd, but also they were like my age. I think I'm no more than one year difference or maybe two years difference. So charting the careers of De La Soul, it feels like every album they ever came out with, they were dealing with exactly what I was dealing with at the same time. So for me, um, like I, I'm unapologetic about De La Soul is my favorite hip hop group of all time, bar none, mm. because they most represent their music from Three Feet High to De La Soul is Dead to Stakes is High to AOI Bionics. Like they always represent what I'm feeling. And, you know, that hardcore era of hip hop manifested itself. And I wasn't initially feeling a lot of that stuff. You know, so mm-hmm, De La mm-hmm. kind of represented, uh, to be perfectly honest, outside of native tongues, outside of De La Tribe and JBs, during this time in the early 90s, I was mostly listening to dance hall. So I oh, was wow. fucking with like Pinchers and Sanchez, you know what I mean? Ica Mouse. Like I just I just went hardcore into dance hall because mm-hmm. I wasn't actually feeling a lot of the popular hip hop at the time. So, you know, of course... Years later, we would have the whole backpacker movement that kind of got spawned from that. But it was an it was an interesting time in hip hop where you kind of wonder as the genre was blowing up and becoming commercial, if there was even room for you. Like I remember after Three Feet High and Rising, that was one of the first times where like a white kid questioned my blackness because I didn't like the right rap. You know what I mean? Like a white kid was like, oh, I love rap. And I'm like, oh, yeah, like Daylight. And they're like, nah, nah, those are. That's not real rap. Those are like nerds. They're hippies. And I'm like, man, fuck you. Like, it was a weird kind of thing where all of a sudden white America loved rap. But they didn't like the same rap that I was feeling. And you suddenly feel like, oh, man, you're being kicked out of your own music and your own culture. And De La was like, again, they were they were the beachhead for me from from the get go. Yeah. We used to be down as partners in crime. From our parents, nickname was Forge. I was the beaver, you curious George. Wanted to be exposed to this and that, but curiosity had killed the cat. At this age, no one was red, so this was the fake that you were fed. It was, but the weird thing about it is, even getting ready to come on your show, I gotta say, I was like, where's my copy of Three Feet High and Rising, and where's my copy of De La Soul Was Dead? And I dug through boxes, and I couldn't find it, so I'm like, oh, no big deal, let me go on Spotify. It's not there. I'm like, okay, I'll just download it on iTunes. It's not, not there. there. Yeah. And I'm like, motherfucker, you can't find 90% of Dale's output like anywhere. What's that about? And I'm just going, God damn, like one of the greatest groups in hip hop and their legacy's kind of been scrubbed off the internet. Yeah. I mean, I think we touched on some of this stuff, Morgan, you and I, when we had um, Thomas uh, Thomas Gulvik on to talk about Three Feet and Rising. And I mean, Camp, the, the simple answer to the, your query here, I believe, is just two words, which is Tommy and boy. And that, <laughs> I mean, a lot of it's tied up in, in label issues and sample clearance, which is connected with that. But clearly, sample clearance stuff didn't stop other labels from releasing other albums from that same era. Um, but to your point, and I think as a lot of De La fans know, they don't exist on the streaming services. And given that that is such a big way, and especially the younger generation listens to this music. Suddenly is like, oh, I'm having a lot more clarity about it. Because again, as soon as you asked me like albums that were like really impactful, like De La Soul is Dead immediately popped into my mind. And I I realized I hadn't actually, I haven't actually listened to the album in several years, Mm -hmm. you know, but it's, that's how impactful it was because you know, as sophomore albums go, I mean, I believe it didn't do as well as Three Feet High and Rising, but it was such a reaction to the reaction to them. Right. And it represented it so like on the nose, clearly in a way that only like a 19 year older would would clap back. You know what I mean? Where it's like, like I said, it, on the heels of for the first time, a white kid questioning my authenticity within hip hop. De La had this album where it's like people have been calling them soft. Like, oh, you got it twisted because of this Daisy shit. You think, we, we, you know, you can just like steal on us or fuck with us. And it's this weird thing where like you're feeling like you're being emasculated within your own culture. Um, <laughs> and you got to kind of like clap back on all that stuff. 
Yeah, you homeboys are really bugged. Wait a minute, did he say bugged? So no car, no beepers, no gold. That's weak, man, that's weak. Jesus, he said weak Jesus. They never learn. Foolish mind have I, have I? Yeah, it was a really, I, I remember like from the get-go, I was just like, man, this is the best second album I've ever heard. It was so different. And it had like, Prince Paul just like took his sample into like a whole other level. Yeah. I was like, I don't even like, I was big on like, of course, people, listeners who don't know, you know, this is pre-internet. So you got to dig in the crates to find samples. And you really just like, it, it was it was like a fun game. You know what I mean? To kind of like try to dig through and find samples. Yo, G. Yo, what up, G, man? Yo, man, you heard about that new club called Adona Hill, B? Yeah, man, I heard it's kind of fly, Yo, man, man Rock Kim and Daylight be out there all the time. Word up. All the time. Yo, Daylight, yo, those punk kids, man. Hey, punk, yo, man, those kids are whack, man. Straight up booty. Whack, yo, Come. man, but yo, that buddy, yo, that was kind of fly, man. The yeah, powers, slam, Word slam. up, yo, it was. But yo, forget about that, man. Yo, after they came out with Pluck 1, Pluck 2, and Pothole, yo, man, they fell over the brothers, man. Yes, they did, man, yo. And a lot of the stuff that Prince Paul was sampling, I was just like, I don't even know. I mean. Of course, there's things like Stevie Wonder. You'll you'll get some recognizable stuff. But but then they took like the art of the skit to like a whole other level. Yeah. Like the whole song Biddy's in the BK Lounge is just like a five and a half minute series of skits. Speaking of foul, how about some chicken for the cow? Oops, I meant you. Sorry for the mix up, but your stomach's always big to the sexual slip. I could buy you and sell you for pennies. You better. I think that's something you should understand. I tried to be nice and help the poor make money. And since I know you need it, I'll go elsewhere, dummy. Yeah, okay. BK workers is too damn rude. I think I'll See go get me some Chinese food. Yeah. I literally, one of my boys worked at Burger King when this album came out. And I witnessed him get into a fight with a girl who threatened to, like, have her boyfriend come down there and fuck him up. And then this album came out, and it was like, it was like Daylight had bugged the, the BK. <laughs> and then made a song about it. Maybe they know? were maybe so, they were in the restaurant when that owl happened, and that's <laughs> that's what the birth of it. You just you were there. You yeah. just didn't know it. You know. Yeah, I mean, and of course you got Mr. Long, and you got the introduction of Drez. You know what I mean on this album? The first time you, you that I heard, you know, Drez drop drop some bars. So you know it 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 kind of like gave us our early kind of sneak peek at Black Sheep. Yeah. Um, you know, which was about as I think as hardcore as Native Tongues would ever get would be that um that black sheep album um but but yeah i just man man i it just it, it gives me like a really warm feeling because it, it it speaks to my young adulthood it's like i'm an adult now i'm out in the world and and this is the soundtrack to my life right now oh, last of the fast plug pipers at the show in your eye turning like rubbing alcohol native is the tongue that speaks the guacamole kin folk with platers and stereo chances played a part of a herd at a show I think you touched on this a little bit, but uh, what were your first impressions um, of the album when it came out? If you can think back to that. And if I can just add on to that, I mean, I think this is an album because as many sophomore albums do, right? There is a certain set of expectations that the fans of the first one have. So what were the expectations you went into De La Soul with Dead In? And then how did that album either live up to exceed subvert or fall short of those expectations well of course like the second album i was i was i can't really measure i, I remember my excitement level was like through the roof yeah yeah um and, and usually you know back then um you get you get a single drop before the album comes out usually the so the first single was a uh, ring 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 ha ha hey um and so I heard that single and was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to love this album even more than than Three Feet High and Rising, because, you know, the whole album is just like they're famous now and people are hitting them up trying to get them to listen to their busted demos. <laughs> and um, and it was just a, the video was real cool. It was like black and white. Um, sonically, it sounded very different. You know what I mean? It had more of like a boom bap kind of beat to it. Hey, how you doing? And they look, and that was the other thing, they look different. Like, you know, the first Three Feet High and Rising, Daylight was really notable for their, their hairstyles, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? And, right. and Dove 
went from that like really unique set of dreads to having like shaved it all off. But then he had like one little sprout yeah. of hair, like on the corner of <laughs> yeah. his otherwise shaved head. Yeah. So you're just like, you thought they couldn't be any weirder or different. And then they came like, come and I think Mace was wearing like a baby Huey hat with a propeller on the top. So, so they, <laughs> in the video. So from the first video, you're like, oh shit, they're just doing something completely uh, uh, different. Uh, which was was got me super excited. And then I got the album and again, skits, I know skits were really common on albums back then, but they took the skit to like, De La Soul is Dead is like the I, some people remember it more from the skits than the than the songs, you know, because it begins with a kid finding their album in the trash. Right. You know, and then some other kids like beating his ass. And then they spend the whole time in today's vernacular, we'd say trolling the album as they're listening to it. So you got these dudes, these three dudes. I think the leaders, Mr. Long, doing the voice. And I think Maceo is one of the other voices. Just talking shit, like after every third song. Hated it. Oh, this is so corny, man. This show's so so got a wit act, man. Right, man. Tell right. me, what are they saying, man? Yo, yo man, I kind of like it, man. What? You, you bugging. <laughs> what do you know about music, hamster penis? Oh, you don't have to hit him like that, man. I don't know, man. It almost felt like um, a piece of performance art. You know, in, in album form for me. So my expectations were high and maybe more so than almost any other follow up album. It far, far exceeded my my expectations. Um, hmm. Yeah, they delivered for me with that one. Morgan, how about for you? The first song that I heard from this album was probably a roller skating gym named Saturdays. Yeah. And I heard it mm-hmm. in a mix on the radio out here. And I don't know what station, I don't know what station it was, but I remember thinking, okay, first of all, whatever this is, this is fire. I didn't know what to think of it because of the way it starts out. I was like, well, is this disco? And if it is, why is it on this station? I thought they were cool because they were quirky. Ring, 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 hey, ha, hey was, ha, ha, hey was, I thought so melodic and cool. I thought yeah. this was something that, I, I mean, the, it just, those are the words for me, melodic and cool. It flowed for me. And because of that, I flowed with them, period. No questions asked. And that mm-hmm. was my introduction. Those two songs were the introduction to this album. I love De La Soul on, on Buddy. And we've talked a lot about the na- native tongues before. I'm partial to the Jungle Brothers. Mm-hmm. Um I love Tribe, but I'm partial to the Jungle Brothers. Um, but I love their introduction on that song. And so I rocked with them since then. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I talked about this the last time when we, we had a Dale album under discussion, which is that this is the most important artist in terms of my growth as a, as a music lover. I mean, it really all goes back to Dale. And I think for me, and I, I really wish I could try to put myself back into 91 because I don't I, I can only remember what I think I thought of De La Soul is Dead from back then, but it's all filtered through the 30 years that have passed. I want to say that it was probably both confusing and exciting to hear the group trying to remake, or in this case, you know, kill off their previous image. Mm-hmm. And, and because of that, I think going into this album, once you heard the title, you know, I wasn't really sure what it is that we were going to get. And despite the kind of dramaticness of of that title, right, De La Soul is Dead, I don't actually think the album ended up being as massive of a departure as we would have maybe expected, just again, given the symbolism of the name. Mm -hmm. The group certainly does sound, and this goes back to your point, Kemp, they sound a little bit older because they were, right? Uh, Certainly a little bit more uh, weary and cynical to certain degrees. But importantly for me as a fan, I didn't think of the album as being a radical reinvention of their sound, which is what mattered most to me. This felt like this album in particular felt like the first really important meta rap album that I had encountered where an artist um, wasn't just reflecting on their own impression or image in the public eye. I mean, certainly many other artists and rappers in particular had already done this by 1991, 
But they, they were the first group I could remember that was actively seeking to reshape what that image was. Yo, Millie, what's the problem lately you've been bugging? On your dookie earring, someone must be tugging. You were a dancer who could always be found clubbing. Now you're worried now with the frown you're lugging. Come to think your face would stink when deals around you. He's your father, what then happened? Did he ground you? For each of you, where does this album rank within De La's catalog? And in particular, do you do either of you think it's a better album than Three Feet High? I definitely do. This is my this is my number one De La album. Mm-hmm. Is is so I again when I I've always loved Three Feet High and Rising, but for me, De La Soul is Dead is the number one album, and I think that I, I'm. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think this one got five mics from the source when it came out. So I yeah. think that critically, at least, it was pretty well appreciated. But uh, again, I the, I think that cynicism you mentioned um, really appealed to me um, because this was a time when I was a very cynical young man. And <laughs> and so there was something about that element of it that, um, again, it, it, as much as the first album reflected my life at that time um, as a as a teenager, I think that this one reflected it even more, and it and it had more variety for me. Like I like look, be like full disclosure. I lost my virginity, you know, when when this album came out, and it was the girl, the good the girl I lost it to. Her her jam was um let let me in, so she would like put on that jam, and it was like and my ass got laid. So I was <laughs> so. <laughs> So I should send those Negroes a fruit basket because they they help me accomplish. Get to that next level. Yeah. Yeah, man. Like it was cool. The first one was cool, but this was cool in a way that it was like it was cool with the girls, too. You know, like, I, I, yeah, it was uh, this. This is a special album for me. So this is my number one. Ain't no locking up now. Just the symmetric to your bottom. Ain't no locking up. Shake, listen, that Catholic cool. We'll be right back with our conversation with Kim Powers right after this pledge break. Max Fund Drive is the time of year where we all come together to support the shows on the network, including this one. When you become a member during the Max Fund Drive, you get to decide which shows benefit. Max Fund, after all, is audience supported, which means that we are free to make the content that you enjoy because people like you contribute to us. We consider ourselves so lucky to have such a great community grow around us. And so in essence, as a member, you are part of creating this show. The artists make the content, our audience listens and shares, and our members provide the funding to make it all possible. This year of all years has very much shown all of us how valuable our favorite creators are. They've kept us company. They've given us familiar voices to make us laugh, think, interact, and just feel normal. If our show has done that for you and you're able to join as a member, we do encourage you to consider doing so now. Membership at Max Fund starts at $5 a month. That's right, $5 a month. And that gets you all the bonus content. You'll be able to access that as long as you're a member, and there's a whole lot of it already waiting for you right now. So if you choose to join or upgrade at $10 a month, you get a Max Fund membership card and a cool pin of your choice, which should be ours. It's a boombox, all right? We're going to. It's really good. It's so good. I mean, I know we're biased, but I actually, I love, 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 love this year's pin. 100%. If you don't really have a boom box at home, get a pin. You'll be close enough. We're going to be taking a break from pins for a bit after this year. So you'll want to round out your pin collection with the 2021 Heat Rocks pin. And if you join or upgrade at $20 a month or more, you'll get this year's special gift, the Max Fun Take a Minute Tea Kit. It's a, Mm. it's fire. It's a custom tin with art by Atomic Pixies, a rocket-shaped tea infuser. Who else is doing that? And a custom Max Fun blend of tea from our friends at Wishes Tea. We think you deserve to take a minute for yourself and enjoy a nice cup of tea. If you are already a member, thank you so much for supporting the show. If you want to join, boost, or upgrade, go to MaximumFun.org slash join. And we are back here on Heat Rocks talking about De La Soul is Dead with director and playwright Kemp Powers. 
One thing when I think about De La Soul, the one word that always comes to mind to me is animated. Mm. One of the reasons that I love them is because I thought they were I thought it was very cute how they were self-deprecating. And I thought they were animated kids with with animated names. Like nobody who else was named those names in, in hip hop. So question for you, uh, because this is your lane. Um, if you had to animate any of the songs on this album, which ones would you choose? Like, what makes for the best animated short film? Oh well, again, Biddy's in the BK Lounge for sure. That one's that one's tailor made for an animated short. <laughs> so that I didn't even have to think about that one. I would <laughs> because you know it's it's funny. <laughs> it's a you you actually find yourself building out a story all I could I could easily find myself building a, a greater story around all of the characters that that could be a series uh, you you want to go to the high school where these kids are at school you know and and see their ongoing day-to-day interactions you know so that 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 one would be a that one would kind of run away with it uh for for me excuse me would you take my order to go. Shoshana's got a real job, Dad, don't you oh, know? yeah, it's you. Now I recognize yeah. the real, real bitty with the fake, fake eyes. Hey. Yo, can I interest you in some burgers and fries? Yes, you can, but you can keep your lies. Because you know you can't diss me, but you pissing me off. I know about? where you live, and I know that you're soft. Yeah, right. You're as booty as they come, and you just like... Really quick tangent, but I can't pass up this opportunity to ask. So, you know, Kemp, when I watched Soul, one of the things that I noticed was in the barbershop scene, there's that little, not that subtle shout-out to a tribe called Quest. Right. And right. was that your doing? Like who, who came up with that? Well, yeah, that because I'm, I'm 47, man. So I'm very much about Neo soul and native. De- 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 yeah, it permeates the whole film. Like Cody Chestnut being the busker was like me. They didn't know who that was. I was like, the busker has to be Cody Chestnut. And because it's Pixar, we then flew him to Emeryville and recorded Cody Chestnut doing it. But yeah, the tribe, um, the, the, um, you know, a lot of Paul Abadilla, who was one of our incredible designers. Uh, I, I love Paul because he was like he, he came up with the idea of having it just be Queens artists um, on the walls in the barbershop. So, you know, you'll see we have a, we have a low end theory. We, we created the low end theory album on the wall. Yeah. As well as um, Nas is Illmatic um, and run DMC. So, you know, but yeah, I. It, it's very uh, Joe Gardner is supposed to be, and, and it made sense because we brought in Questlove was one of our musical consultants, right? And he he validated the the idea that like the barber is going to have his shop represent him musically. Yeah. So if Des was someone who's in his mid, the Des the barber who was voiced by Donnell Rollins, if he's in his mid forties, right, this it is, would make sense then right, right. that he would be jamming to tribe native, you know, whatever yeah. <laughs> of the. So that all helped, and and yeah, that all helped validate the the sonically some of it. And, and there were like lots of little tidbits. Like sure. I jokingly added like next to that pizza shop, and we call it Tony Tony Tonios. So <laughs> even trying to make it yeah. like both coasts, because I always viewed like you know a lot of cats coming out of Oakland really vibed with that kind of East Coast native from you know oh, Mr. No Dabalina from yeah. Delta Funky Homo Sapien. Yeah. You had Tony 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 Raphael Sadiq. There was just Sonically, a lot of stuff coming out of the Bay really connected to me in that way that it felt like, oh, this sounds like kind of that native tongue sound that, right. that I could get with. Right. All the Easter eggs in these films don't have to just be about Cal Arts. Like we can slip in some other oh, stuff yeah. too. <laughs> no, no. There's a whole other series of like, you know, neo soul '90s, you know, hip hop late late '80s, early '90s hip hop Easter eggs that yeah. we have all throughout Soul for those who intrepid. People who want to kind of go down that 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 rabbit hole. I, I'm intrepid. Uh, intrepid people are. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Bringing this back to De La Soul is dead. I think one of the first pieces of hip hop music criticism that I really remember making an impression on me, and this was before I began writing about hip hop myself, was something that Nelson George had written about this album. And I, I don't remember if it was for his column in Billboard or he might have been over at the Village Voice at this point. But in either case. He, he criticized De La Soul from turning from Afrocentricity on the first LP to what he termed, Nelson George termed, ghetto-centricity on this one. And specifically, what George wrote was, quote, in order to prove their manhood to challengers who thought them soft, and maybe even to themselves, De La Soul have opted for a semi-macho stance at odds with their landmark introduction, unquote. 
And I certainly get what George was saying here. And maybe that argument did make sense in 91 compared to Three Feet High and Rising. Um, and yes, on De La Soul is Dead, the group does talk a little bit more about sort of their ability to, you know, quote, throw joints, unquote. Question. And that's if only I can ask this question. Can I? Yes, you can. Why do people think just because we speak peace, we can't throw no joints? I, I don't know. But from a 2021 vantage point, it's really hard for me to imagine thinking of this album as being born out of some kind of toxic masculinity. And again, we're obviously talking about three decades of difference in context, but even at the time, I never really thought of De La Soul is Dead as being very ghetto centric in the way that, that George was, was saying. And again, I'm not, not saying- at all, yeah. man. I, I totally disagree with that because look, I mean, hip hop, people talk about like keeping it real, real hip hop. The streets test you, you know, constantly. <laughs> I mean, look at poor- fucking PM Dawn. Like, you know what I mean? Like Prince B was getting, it became like a punchline. Prince B getting thrown off the stage in his own shows. Like the, the streets rise up and test you if you are going against the grain. And De La Soul's message of positivity seemed to encourage it. I I think they said as much, you know, it's like you, you, you have a show and dudes are going to treat you like, I don't think it's toxic masculinity at all. It's It's an unfortunate reality of being a young black man, you know, you know, like it's a, it's a weird. And so I, I think that the way they handled it with self with largely to me self-deprecation, you know, uh, I thought that was actually a really mature for their age way of, of tackling the way the thing, the many things that, that they must've been dealing with, but at least that's my opinion. And it's because of what I was dealing with in my own life. That's why I think it related and spoke to me so much. I mean, we, we we were coming out of this period where we were all, you know, rocking Africa medallions. Right. And, 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 you know, we were, we were like dressing like granola Negroes and all of a sudden it was like shit got gangster and you become the butt of jokes. So I, I thought that they, they, they handled it in a very clever self-deprecating way that, that which, rem- which years later you'd see reflected in groups like the far side. You know, <laughs> like right. I, I think there would have never been a far side right. if there hadn't been a, a De La Soul and another really wonderful self-deprecating group who didn't seem to, you know, far side was about as unexpected for, for South Central L.A. as one as one could come up with at the time. So I, I, I get the logic behind that argument, but I never received that that way. Yeah. Uh, even then, like the idea of that being De La being hardcore. I mean, from my understanding, Maceo was always the one who would fuck you up. So he was never like a dude to be trifle with, you know, going back to when they were, you know, kids. But it, yeah, I, I, I don't, I, I never had that read on it back then. It's like, oh yeah, they're hard. I mean, Peace Porridge is a great single. Right. And, 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 but I, but I, yeah, that's a, I have a different read on that. Yeah. That's interesting though. Yeah. I would say that there were all these rumors about how, um, you know, De La Soul would pull up on you. There were rumors of what happened with them on the tour with LL that they were like, you know, just whooping everybody and had to be kicked off the tour. But <laughs> but that's one side. But I never I, I'm not sure I ever really bought that. It was just hard for me to wrap my mind around those three yeah. dudes actually pulling up on you. <laughs> And yeah. <laughs> no to shade to them, but I was like, really? Right, are are right. you guys pulling up it, to the to the extent that you're getting kicked off of a of a hip hop tour? I don't think so. Um, and then the other part of that is I never uh, to to Kim's point, everything about De La Soul to me says self deprecation with humor, and right. I never got the impression that these were guys that were just pulling in a whole bunch of girls. They were, I think, they were honest about their failure to do so on skit after mm-hmm. skit. The girls always got the upper hand. Whatever their intentions yeah. were, I think they made fun of themselves and that they were not players. And I think they also made fun of the fact that they were expected to be because that's hip hop. So unless I really miss something, I don't get the toxic masculinity either. And I'm not saying you have to look a certain way to be to, to have toxic masculinity. I'm not just saying because these were flower kids with the medallions that they couldn't be. I just didn't hear it unless I really missed something. Me not, me not, me not scared of charge a bit. They can't, they can't, they can't get close to none. I tap, I tap, I tap, I dance, war skit. The poor, the poor, the porridge got crazy cold. We won't, we won't eat until the heads are flown. Take advantage to a cool one's peaceful ways. But when, but when we fly that head, all the people say. De La Soul is Dead is an album you could have potentially seen like Basquiat playing 
You know, like it was not. Yeah. That was, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I would definitely not call that hardcore in any way, shape or form. No more than I was hardcore in 1991, which newsflash, I was not. <laughs> I was. <laughs> you were not I was rocking my Clark's Wallabies and minding my fucking business. Indeed. And as, and as I was saying, um, and I was just trying to make the point, it, it is not as if there's one-stop shopping as, in terms of a, a look of things that are toxic toxic and, yeah. and masculine. But I just spent a lot of time laughing at De La Soul, laughing at themselves yeah, and, right. their, yeah. and their observations about the rest of hip hop and the rest of those sort of, you know, those sort of sexual politics and how they didn't really match up. So I just didn't receive receive them that way. Not to say that every every lyric was perfect, or there weren't some things that you were like, "What'd you say?" But for yeah. the most part, I saw them as the uh, as jesters, mm-hmm. smart, funny, ironic uh, jesters. How y'all feeling out there? Y'all listen to the rap, the rap show, and I'm the doodle man playing all the slamming rap tunes for all you Mac daddies and Mac gets. So hold tight for one hour rap sweep on WRMS. Who's the doodle man? And is there any other group? I can't think of another group at that time that I that, that was one of the only groups I said out loud. Like, don't you wish you could hang out with De La? <laughs> a lot of your favorite artists you don't want to hang out right. with. You know what I mean? Like, you hear the album and you dig the music, but you're like, yeah, I'm glad I'm not. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't I don't want to be there for for what they're dealing with. And De La was an exception that it's like I could see myself hanging out with those guys. <laughs> The black nerd niche is in now. I mean, you you see shows like Atlanta. Right. You know, it, it took 30 goddamn years for people <laughs> to finally figure out that this kind of like subset of the culture that's both in the hood, in the ghetto. Yeah. You know what I mean? But and, and a part of it. But <laughs> it, it, it exists. And, and now it has a voice that's that's very common. But but back then it really didn't. Right. At all. Yeah. Jody got a cat, but she won't let it out. Tough luck, cause it makes check out. Waiting on the winds, he moves to the next. Searching for the cheese, looking for the text. In the big blue, in search of the skins. Grinning and laughing, laughing and grinning. Padlock Jody got the whole scene played. No knocking boots till she's 14K. Diamond in the back. We'll be wrapping up our conversation with Kim Powers. But first, let's talk about the Max Fun Drive. You know, every week here on Heat Rocks, we ask people if they'll be willing to leave us a review on iTunes because it's a important way that new people can discover uh, our show. And this comes from user Coolness1920, uh, and entitled "My Greatest Discovery of 2021." Yes. All right, and it starts. So I was bored one day and was searching for stuff to listen to online. I like music podcasts and randomly came across the Heat Rocks episode on Mariah Carey's The Emancipation of Mimi album. Mm. It's one of my favorite albums of all time, and I talk about it all day. I then decided to browse through their previous episodes and became instantly hooked on the show. Coolness 1920 continues, I love the format of this podcast and the camaraderie between the two hosts, Oliver and Morgan. Their insight on music and pop culture makes this podcast a must listen. My first instincts were to listen to the episodes on albums I was familiar with, but the podcast has also done a great job at introducing me to a number of classics that may have gone under the radar. Uh, She finishes by saying, thank you, Oliver, Morgan, Christian, and everyone who makes this podcast the absolute gem that it is. Keep up the good work and looking forward to more amazing episodes from you all. Shout out to user coolness 1920. I'm getting all warm fuzzies over this. It's such a kind and generous comment. And we're so appreciative of just all the love that people have shown us on iTunes, on the socials. Uh, You know, it's, we've been doing this, the show now for over three and a half years, closing in on that four-year mark. And the community of our audience members and the folks who support us and, and give us shout-outs, it's, it's so gratifying and just such a it, I, again, it just makes us feel so so warm and fuzzy inside. Indeed. Um, I met Oliver uh, six or seven years ago. Now it's been a joy uh, to be able to do this show, to talk to him about music, which is my favorite thing to do. And uh, because of your support, we've been able to do it for this many years. So we just appreciate you um, keeping us on and uh, keeping us inspired to talk, uh, to have these conversations about music. Yeah. And along those lines, when, when people ask me about doing the show, the thing that, you know, in terms of what I get out of it, the thing that I answer first, and it is the truest part of it, is that 
once a week, I get to have a really smart conversation with people about music. And there's very few things in life that I love more than having great conversations about music. So the constancy of this um, is just, it's it's the the, one of the best things I have going on in my life. And, and Morgan, being able to have those conversations with you each and every week is absolutely one of the high points. I feel the same way. Thank you, man. You can join Booster Upgrade, your membership right now. Most folks start off with $5 per month, which gets you all of the bonus content for all of the shows at Max Fun. If you join or upgrade at $10 per month or more, you can choose a Max Fun show pin. It should be ours, no pressure. Yes. There are special thank you gifts for joining or upgrading at $20 and up too. If you're not too worried about getting gifts, but just want to give a little more, please do so. You can also boost your membership to any amount between levels that you choose. And as we mentioned earlier, our pin this year, pretty fire. It's a boombox. The design is, we all helped to contribute to it. So I feel like we all had a little piece in it, even if we didn't actually do the final design. But, you know, we we helped to provide some of the inspiration. And (laughs) bottom line, it just, it looks great. And if they're not going to be doing pins after this year, this is a pretty good one to, to close on, at least for the immediate future. So you go for that $10 a month, cop that pin. You will not regret it. However you choose to do it, just thank you all so much for supporting the show, whether or not you become a new member or you're boosting, upgrading, et cetera. We are just so appreciative of all the love and support that you've shown to us. If you're ready to join, boost, or upgrade, you can do it at MaximumFun.org slash join. Bringing this back to De La Soul is dead. Camp, what is the fire track off this album for you? Mm, mm. Yeah, I would have to say I would have to say a roller skating jam named Saturdays. That that's the. I mean, and it's then there's tough other to tracks. Yeah, yeah. There's there's other tracks, and then that's another thing is that I'll admit this this album doesn't have as many radio friendly tracks. Period. Hmm. You you know, like I, I genuinely don't believe that because I really in love like past the plugs, but I don't think that ever came out on the radio. Hmm. I don't think Oodles of O's came out on the radio. I mean, talking about Hey Love is just them talking literally. Yeah. Um, the, the entire, you know, it's similar to like Biddy's and the Beacon, like none of these s- songs actually came out on the radio other than, um, a roller ring, skating ring, jam and ring, yeah. ring, ring. Right, right. So, you know, I, I dug fanatic of the, of the B word that was never like, none of these are radio tracks. Yeah. So, so I would say that like, yeah, roller skating jam new Saturdays would be the one. Girl meets boy on Thursday night. Boy was high, girl fly like pipe. They hold hands until next day. Boy, then let's go hit his way. Boy rolls blunt rats to his boy. Erection brings bad boy joy. Boy thinks of that big fat fat. Big black fat, the big black fat. If I'm spinning out, then the fire track is, it's got to be Roller Skate, uh, Roller yeah. Skate and Saturday. I mean, it's such, just a gloriously joyful track, just from Jump. And I just love that energy of it. That said, I write really heavy for oodles of O's. I think I, it, it's a great track. It's I, a great opener. <laughs> exactly. It is such a it's, dark and sinister way to open the album. And if part yeah. of the point is we've switched things up, then I think a song like oodles of O's makes that statement without having to be super explicitly, um, overly explicit about it. Oodles and oodles of O's, you know. You get them from my sister, you get them from my bro. All I is is man and once an embryo. And my solid goal, I don't cast a glow. Yes, I guess it's reflex, some have no control. I'd rather let a laughter and tally off my dough. Canoeing up the river or out into the hole. You just know we're not, so not play the role. Some in love and, and, the, and, you know, the video for a roller skating jam is also, you know, that really is a warm spot in my memory. I mean, back when when leaders of the new school were still kicking it and yeah. friendly with each other, mm-hmm. you know, you yeah. had Charlie. It was just you you would when you think of a day La video, you think of a bunch of friends having fun together. You think of like the buddy video. You think of it's just like right. guys and girls. You think of like Moni Love. You think of like yeah. everyone just kind of like kicking it. And going out and having a good time on a weekend. Yeah. And totally. that's the vibe of, of De La Soul that I that I love so much. It yeah. wasn't a vibe of like, I'm going to get shot. <laughs> <laughs> Which was so much of like the 80s. It wasn't a vibe of, of posturing. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. was like a vibe of like, let's have fun. Let's go to some place where we can kick it and pick up some girls. And it was just, I don't know, as close as you, I think as you're going to get to like wholesome hood. Peter. On the farm, I'll feel on the hey, why 
watch that. It's a Saturday. Now is the time to act the fool tonight. Forget about your worries and you will be all right. It's Saturday, 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 it's Saturday. Morgan, how about you? You know what I'm going with. And you know I'm going with a roller skating jam named Saturdays. Yeah. It is just, to me, it's the perfect trifecta of groove and melody. Shout out to uh, Vinny and Mojica. Yes. And bars. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Q-Tip. I thought his flow on there was just super nice. Yeah. And even at 114 BPMs on this song, there's still something that's laid back um, to me about the song. It represented a different to me skating culture because World on Wheels out here in the 90s, you might get shot. <laughs> and so seeing the video, it gave me um, aspirations of surviving uh, my roller skating adventures. There's there's so much to love about that song. And uh, Oliver and I you know, have bonded and clashed over my love for Drake. But I love rappers when they sing. And so um, them doing this chorus, it just flows. It's just so nice. The video, I'm heavily influenced by videos, especially videos of this time. Yeah. So that's my number two. But roller skating is number one for all mm-hmm. the reasons that, Kemp, you mentioned and, and the things I'm trying to say here. Yeah. Okay, so favorite moment from the album what is your favorite moment okay for me it's got to be the entirety of the biddies in the bk lounge segment <laughs> when they begin to cap on one another over that lou donaldson sample look you don't have to play fly in here yo i can tell you fly by the weave that you wear weave. but you must be aware that a fly can be swatted by bk oh. trey by the way yo here's yours i know you just sweating me so sweating baby kill the noise bugging. with your polyester pants and they're also high waters I mean, look, this is so just vintage De La to me. It's funny, it's unexpected, and importantly, it's just sonically dope. Um, when we had Salam Remy on the other uh, earlier in the year, you know, I did say that his use of that same Lou Donaldson loop um, on his remix of Ghetto Red Hot was one amongst my favorite uses of it, but sentimentally, De La flipping that sample, which is, I think, Lou Donaldson's um, It's Your Thing, uh, it's just a personal favorite because it's the first time I heard it. And it's just the way it comes in on that song and that whole segment, as I said, that runs over it. I just love, love that moment. And it's just my favorite part of the album. Morgan, how about you? Same. Uh, it's That's my favorite moment. Um, with your polyester pants and they're also high waters. I love this song because in the like the going back and forth, the clapbacks, to me, uh, the girl wins. And so it's just a triumphant moment. Um, but also, uh, you know, the, from the change up on, the barbs are funny. But for me, it's the sample that carries the whole interaction. Kemp, with three for three. I mean, I've been I've been raving about that since the beginning of this yeah. <laughs> chat. That um, it, it's like they had a they had bugged the local Burger King where my boy worked. <laughs> um, I I love I love people. <laughs> I love people playing the dozens on albums. You yeah. know what I mean? Snapping on one another. Um, yes. It's um, and and I and I agree with Morgan, and I think that the 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 girl wins um, in yes. in this battle, and and it's great. I mean, there's just so many moments in this back and forth over this great beat. Um, you know, before my man gives you a slap. Yeah, I know your man, the biggest punk in school. It's just like <laughs> it's just. They take it to every place, and then the next thing you know, she's ribbing on him for his his mom working to being a fry cook. It just it's it's really just a great <laughs> it's it's a great standout moment on the album. Indeed, I got too much family to heat your threats. Oh, you a family man? Well, I shouldn't be surprised if your sister's whipping burgers and your mother's trying to try that. Oh, damn! Look, what? Here comes one more. It's your father. He just finished mopping yeah, the floor. Right. Now give them a hand. It's the BK clan, so you can't talk garbage about who I am. Well, I just feel like 
I can't remember if there really had been anything quite like that previous. I mean, the scenario, of course, exists in a lot of different pop culture spaces, television, movies. I just don't know if I had ever heard it in a song before. And I think partly that's what I found so mesmerizing about it. it and and it also does that thing where, I mean, it, it's a song that wants to be funny, that pulls it off. And anyone who's ever tried to write a joke and realize how damn difficult it is to make it work, this to me is like a perfect execution on a concept and a punchline. Um, and of course, you know, I mean, if any group is going to, going to be able to do that. It was going to be daylight. They demonstrated that yeah. throughout their career, but I think that's what makes Biddy so well. It's a bit, and it's a bit that absolutely kills. And the fact that all three of us landed on this as our favorite moment, I think 30 years later suggests that how good of a bit it was. Hmm. Kemp, I'm wondering if you were to cross paths with someone who by some miracle of fate had never heard of De La before, and you wanted to use a song off of this album as their introduction to the group as a whole, what song would you choose? Oh, it would be ring, 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 ha, ha, hey. Uh, that would that would definitely be the 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 introduction from from this album. Again, yeah. it's um, expectations were running really high for this for this second album, and and I think they couldn't have picked a better first single. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and I, and I think it's again, it's a it's a, it's also a radio friendly single. Right. It's very yeah. cool. The video is really cool. Yeah. Like everything about it is cool. Like down to the girls dancing in the video, where you're just like. I want to meet them. Like everything, <laughs> they they just had a really great um, aesthetic, um, um, mm-hmm. all built around this song and, and this video that I think is a would I would hope would kind of make someone want to listen to the rest of the album. If you had to describe. De La Soul is dead in three words. What would they be? Best sophomore album. Yes. That's a good one. That's a good one. <laughs> yes. That's it? That's all? Van, damn. What happened? What happened to the pimps? What happened to the guns? Know, right? What happened to the curse words? That's what rap music is all about, right? Yeah, man. Right? right. That little bastard, Jeff, he found the Brocker. right place. Garbage! Well, before we jump out of here, we always want to leave our audience with something dope to step to. So if you liked our discussion about De La Soul is Dead and you want something else to listen to, we have some recommendations. Um, and this one was tough for me to come up with because I just want to tell people, listen to every hip hop album that came out in 91, because I feel like you can find some conversation or synergy between De La Soul is Dead and everything else out there. But if I had to narrow it to one and you're looking for something that I think has similar humor and creativity and meta-ness, then you got to go over to, also with the Native Tongues uh, family, go over to Black Sheep's Wolf in Sheep's Clothing, uh, which came out in the same year. Uh, And just a self-plug here, after listening to that album, I would recommend you go back and listen to our Heat Rocks episode between myself and author Adam Ansbach about that Black Sheep LP where we go kind of deep into everything we love about it. So you got the fever for the flavor of the other. Chocolate sarsaparilla or is it you like another? Flavor in my socks. To the curly locks. Black sheep rolling hard and I can pee on the box. Never have I ever, never, ever felt much better. Did the whole nine on the 10th. I was no wetter. Ready and I'm eager. Morgan, how about you? For me, I'd say skip ahead one year and go west. Go to 1992's Bizarre Ride to the fourth, uh, to the Far Side. Yep, yep. Booty Brown, Fat Lip, Imani, Slim Kids, right? You get the comedy, you get the skits, mm-hmm. you get the cleverness, the banter, and um, and obviously I'm biased because I grew up in South Central LA. But I but I think that they're kindred spirits. I think De La Soul and and the Far Side are kindred 100%. spirits on opposite coasts. For me, I would have to stay within the low within the the native tongues and say low end theory. You know, no no two groups speak to each other better, more have more symbiotic relationship to me than than a tribe called Quest and, and De La Soul. I know I'd be the man if I cold yank the blood for R and B, but I can't and that's wrong.
That will do it for this episode of Heat Rocks with our special guest, Kemp Powers. You can catch, of course, his the movie that he helped to co-direct, Soul, is out on Disney+. Plus. And his former play, Turn Now Movie, is available on Amazon Prime, One Night in Miami. Kemp, you're running the, you're, you're, you are ruling the, the streaming yeah. services right now. All you need to do is find something to put on Hulu, maybe like Peacock. <laughs> uh, but no, seriously, you've had a great last few months. What are you working on now? God, there it's it sucks that I can't share because they're they're both secret projects. Um, let's see what ah, I can say. Okay. One is a live action film that I've written, um, based on a historical okay. figure. So on another history project, and the other is an animated feature. Another one that I'm directing. Mm. Um, mm. That um, yeah, that would if if all goes well, will be out um, in a in a couple of years. So I am I am yeah. once again pulling double duty live action animation at the same time. I love doing both, um, and and I'm kind of scratching that itch while there is a desire in the in the Hollywood world for me to continue doing so. Where can people find you online? Oh, um, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. Um, I'm I'm not much of a social media guy, but I do have a, a Twitter and an Instagram account, and I tend to you know share new projects that I'm working on there. Um, both of them are Power Kenny, P O W E R K E N I. Um, and yeah, hit me up on yeah Twitter or Instagram, and you'll see little bits of what I'm up to there. If you've gone the extra mile to become a Max Fund member, thank you so much for making Heat Rocks possible. We are able to do this independent of outside influence because of our audience, people like you who've chosen to support it. So because of that, we cannot thank you all enough. If you haven't had a chance to become a member yet, you can do so at MaximumFun.org slash join. You've been listening to Heat Rocks with me, Oliver Wong and Morgan Rhodes. Our theme music is Crown Ones by Thess One of People Under the Stairs. Shout out to Thess for the hookup. Heat Rocks is produced by myself and Morgan, alongside Christian Duenas, who also edits, engineers, and does the booking for our shows. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher, and our executive producer is Jesse Thorne. We are part of the Maximum Fun family, taping every week live in their studios in the Westlake neighborhood of Los Angeles. The album is 30 years old. I can't believe that, and as we don't get into specificities of age on here, I won't say how old I was when it came out. But I will say that I was listening to a lot of things in 1991, and where it comes to hip-hop, the things that were on heavy rotation were, uh, besides this album, the low-end theory one, Mm. and I was also getting to know uh, Main Source 2. I'm from Mm -hmm. L.A., so, you know, I've... Death Certificate was a part of this. My question for you was, what else besides this, hip-hop or in general, general, what were you listening to in 1991? What was in your in your rotation? Well, yeah, again, the, the whole Native Tongues crew, um, you know, in, including, you know, affiliates like Main Source. Um, I was really in dance hall music um, at the time. So, like I said, you're your pinchers, your Saint, your Sanchez, both both the the singers, you know what I mean, and the and the the more like lyricists. I was I was just really going down a a real dance hall um rabbit hole, and um and what I guess would be called like alternative rock as well. Um, you know, I've always had eclectic musical interests. I mean, the reality is, I think a lot of hip hop heads had eclectic musical musical interests. You know, people forget that like it wasn't a coincidence that you know. Craftwork got sampled <laughs> on Planet Rock right. because pre hip hop we listened to everything, so you know punk and, and rock. So you know uh, 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 I'm trying to remember. I, I don't have like a list of like the big albums of 1991 in front of me, but I think that anything that would have fall fell under you know rock if it was popular uh, or grunge that would have been like hardcore yeah. for me. So like Nirv- yeah. Nirvana you know, was like my shit when they finally came out. So things like that. But um, but though I think that was it. But in terms of hip hop, it was more like Native Tongues and their um, affiliates and other people who had a similar sound, you know. So if that sound came out of the Bay, I didn't really care as much about the regional as, as the sound itself sure. mm-hmm. and the style and the look of it. And so things that fell into that category. I was certainly aware of just the growing intersections between dance hall and hip hop and ragamuffin. 
Um, and I knew that a lot of this was big in New York, but at the time, again, if we're talking about 91, I don't think I, I had yet understood the basic demographics of New York and in particular sort of the intersection between the African-American and West Indian communities, which explains why dance hall was so, so big there. So Kip, I'm wondering for you, was it, you know, was this because are you, is your family of West Indian uh, descent? Is it because it was in the, in the parts of Brooklyn that you were at that this stuff was bumping or you yeah, just, how did you find your way there? I, was, I, I grew up in Flatbush. Mm. So that was just like, you know, my, I, my older sisters, um, two of my older sisters went to Erasmus, um, high school, um, which was up the block from where we lived on, on church Avenue. And, and look, they, they, they both dated a lot of Jamaican guys. So, <laughs> you know, my, um, you know, so while not my my immediate family is not West Indian through marriage, yes, yes there's a there's a big West Indian connection um, in my family, and just being in the Flatbush neighborhood, which was uh, you know people don't know is a, a black neighborhood, but also has a huge West Indian contingent. You right. know, the dollar vans. I think years later, when people you know discovered through Dela, most deaf, you know, and Quali and other, you know, you you get a lot of that. You you start you know outside of KRS one. You you didn't hear a lot of like the the dance hall influence until a little bit later, but yeah, yeah, Flatbush was very representative of that. So I always like Yellow Man, you know, like the like the it, it's just dance hall was always playing in the background, and I think that at a certain point, um, it just kind of like and when I started buying my own vinyl um, and buying my own music and going to the record store with my own money. So again, this also relates to like getting your first job. So that you're actually buying your own stuff. So I'm switching from tapes to actually vinyl when I got my first um, Technique turntable, you know, and I just was like looking for lots and lots of stuff to buy and lots and lots of stuff to play. Um, I just kind of moved out of that hip hop section and kind of moved over to that dance hall section, you know, and started picking up a lot of that kind of stuff. And and dance hall albums were great because it would all it it would always be like so and so versus so and so. Yeah. So it'd be like pinchers versus pliers. Right. And basically you're getting like two artists per album. So one side would be all the pinchers tracks and the other side would be all the, the pliers tracks. So it would be like Sanchez versus Ica Mouse, you know? And so it, it was always fun to kind of be like, oh, I love both those dudes so much. So you get the album and you, right. you know, you flip back and forth a lot. Jamaica, Jamaica, I am a teacher. Mm, I'm a singer, I'm an actor. On entertainer, mm. you taking away my passport and my visa. Mm. So interesting because I found out a lot about dance hall through hip hop. Um, certainly, artists like Diana King, uh, Super Cat Barrington, uh, Bougie Shinehead. So I, I didn't have a, a real education about dance hall until I started listening to hip hop. And so, yeah, Shinehead had that that song um, that he yeah Shinehead I think had one kind of like pseudo pop song that was like that it was as a riff on Sam Cooke's Chain Gang yeah it was like that's the song of the man working on the chain yeah, yeah it was uh, <laughs> yes. Actually, I'm curious along those lines, Kent, because you were listening to both. And obviously, and this goes to what Morgan was saying a moment ago, there was a moment in which there were very deliberate attempts at crossing the two overs. You would have hip-hop remixes of reggae songs or hip-hop songs featuring reggae artists. I'm I'm not an aficionado of dance hall, so I can't really tell you how successful those mergers were. But I feel like you're in a good position to describe how well do you think a lot of those attempts at hybridizing the two worked, or did you actually prefer to keep them kind of separate? No, I love yo like Super Cat's Ghetto Red Hot remix. That shit was my jam. Like I, I still play that song. You know, (laughs) like like I was listening to that a couple of days ago. The hybridized versions were kind of like, this is the potential when these two cultures come together um, to get like, because a lot of times dance hall beats are like tinny. You know, everyone uses the same Rhythm. Beat, right. You know, right. it's the same beat over and over and over again. 
And I think that when you got that hip hop production in there, all of a sudden it took a lot of those songs to another level. I mean, of course, eventually you get to a point where artists like Sean Paul and stuff would start getting that level of production. Right. But in the late 80s, no, everyone had kind of like the same beat and it was just the different vocalizations that you got. So the, the I, I think that the, the hip hop hybrid stuff eventually really impacted dance hall in, in, a, in a massively um, you know, positive way. Like I love Sean Paul's Duddy Rock, you know, and, yeah. and that was basically all the production is hip hop production on that album. Mm-hmm. I feel like Dolly My Baby was also a big moment Ooh, um, yeah. for the hybrid. <laughs> yeah. um, and that song still goes. It's a great marriage, so yeah. That's and of course like. Shaba. Shaba was the first like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Shaba crossed over big time, and <laughs> until people Indeed. actually figured out what the lyrics were, and they were like, "Oh, so <laughs> yeah." <laughs> Yeah, actually, that's true. A lot of dance hall got away with content that would not have flown oh if it was God. in just non-patois English because it's yeah, yeah people dangerous. just didn't know what they were saying. Right. Once they figured it out, I think you know, yellow man. Everybody kind of started getting in trouble when right. you when right. you actually know what they're what they're saying. You talk now when you talk about toxic hypermasculinity. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, dance hall has that shit on lock. Right. So. <laughs> <laughs> MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.